Right, a very good morning to all of you who are joining us live through Facebook Live uh, here at the Rock Church Squamish. We're coming to you live uh, from the Ledge Community Coffee House, downtown Squamish. So, yeah, we just, uh, we're just we very thankful that we're able to still keep on serving uh, God's people, to still keep on serving and, and broadcasting and preaching the Word of God. And, uh, yeah, we just want to say welcome and... Uh, my name is Rudy Botha. I am uh, currently in the role of associate pastor at the Rock Church Squamish, and I have the privilege to fill the pulpit this morning while our lead pastor, Glenn Davies, is on an eight-week sabbatical. Um, I will be preaching today, and then for the next eight weeks, we're going to then jump into a series that's going to be preached by uh, different preachers, different pastors from Northview Community Church, and we are very thankful for them for stepping into that position in the next two months, and we're really looking forward to that season. So I just want to make that as an announcement to uh, our church that we are super excited with that. Uh, it's going to be an exciting series, and uh, we are very, yeah, very much looking forward to what God is going to do through that series. But today, uh, I want to tag on to our series that we had been preaching through, and Glenn specifically had preached through in the last uh, four or five weeks, and that series was entitled Refocused, and that was kind of like the, the theme, or Refocus. I am I'm actually adding to it Refocused, so the past tense. That's my theme for today, and the sermon title for today uh, initially, it's not going to make a lot of sense. Those of you that are maybe uh, aware of stock trading and what's happened in the business world in the last month, you might be familiar with the term a short squeeze. And so uh, I really felt in the last two weeks that, you know, this could be something that is very applicable to the church, uh, what it played out in the last month specifically when it comes to the stock market, believe it or not. And the main point around that is only going to be made right at the end of the sermon. So really hold on um, until the very end, okay? Uh, but I just want to quickly recap what we are look at, looked at in the last four weeks when Glenn had preached this series on to refocus. And he took us into the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and, and he showed us that, you know, the book of Acts clearly tells us and shows us what was most important for the first church, for the first Christians, for the early church. When the church exploded with the pouring out, the, uh, out of the Holy Spirit, we saw that they were committed to four core values or practices or disciplines, and, and those were the apostles' teaching to be devoted to God's Word and to be devoted to those who were in authority over them preaching God's Word, preaching the gospel. They were committed to fellowship, being in family with one another. That it wasn't just about community, but it was really about family. They were committed to the breaking of bread, and, and that looked like having meals together, eating together. And sharing what they had with one another. And then last week we looked at the fact that they were committed to prayer. And Glenn very rightly, you know, brought us back to the fact that, listen, the church is not about me, but it's about we. It's about us. It is a collective movement. It is collectively looking at God's plan for His people, for His children, and for the world. So it's a collective vision and mission. But now on the other hand, we do know that Christianity does call the individual into a personal relationship and an intimate relationship with God through accepting His forgiveness by putting His faith, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what He had done for you, and you give your life to Him completely. You surrender. And you follow Him. 
and you are baptized, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that that is a personal relationship that the individual can, can have. So it's, it's this vision again. It's a family that consists out of individual people. Okay? The Christian message is not to say that the individual doesn't matter. No, in fact, that is what we have actually tried to encourage all of us with in the last four five weeks, is that the church is a picture of, yes, Jesus' body, a collective body, but it consists of different parts, and everyone plays a specific role. Everyone can participate, and that is the picture that we see in Acts 2. Now, today I want to spend some time looking at the church and what happened after this initial utopian picture of the church, because we see the church coming together it explodes to 3,000, 5,000 people within a very short space of time. And then they have those four disciplines. But what happens after that? And what causes that? And what does Scripture show us what it looked like then, really after that, when the church then started doing what Jesus commanded them to do, to go and make disciples of all nations? And so this morning, I'm taking a little bit of a risk, okay? I'm taking a risk. I'm a bit of a risk taker. And uh, Glenn, who's sitting there and watching, don't worry. I'm not going to start praying in tongues or something, <laughs> right? Like, I think he's worried about that. Don't worry. I won't do that. Um, no, I'm just taking a risk here in terms of how I structure it, my message and looking at the Scriptures. You know, have you ever watched one of those movies where the beginning of the movie is actually the end of the movie and the middle of the movie is actually the beginning of the movie, and the end of the movie is actually the whatever. It's the middle of the movie. Okay? I, I can't think of a great example of that, but there are some of those movies that were really like mind-boggling. How did these guys come up with this idea to put it all together? So I'm kind of like going to try and do that. It's, it's not going to be overly complicated. It just means I'm going to start at uh, a specific chapter in the book of Acts, and then we're first going to go uh, back and, and rewind to see uh, what had happened. Okay, so bear with me in that. That's what we're going to do today. Um, and yeah, I, I trust that we will get a bigger and a better picture of what the early church and what the, the church outside of Jerusalem looked like. Because we still want to emphasize that even though in this time, during COVID, during the pandemic, even though we're not able to meet physically, we are trying to emphasize that God is wanting to teach us something here about the church. That the church is not about a building. It's not about an institution or a denomination. But the church is the people of God. The ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called out <laughs> to go. Yes, gather at times, but there is in the history of the church, there have been times where the church, we're also not traditionally able to gather like we are not able to now. But the church has always endured. The, the church has always endured. Because Jesus promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it is with that that we have also made mention of a book that Many of us in the church are reading, and some are working through a small group series on it, and it's a book entitled Letters to the Church by Francis Chan, and, and Glenn has mentioned this a couple of times, this book. And on page 89 of that book, I don't have it on the screen here this morning, but I'm just going to read to you something that Francis writes, because we looked at the church, and Glenn also asked this question, you know, if we, if we look at the first church, there was an awe that the people had for God. They, they were filled with awe because of Him and His presence and what He was doing. And we're kind of like, we have, we've lost that. We are lacking that, even pre-COVID, if we are perfectly honest. The question is, what is missing? Francis writes there on page 89 of his book, he says, We have settled for the natural, and our choices 
give very little evidence that we believe in the Holy Spirit. For that reason, we end up with gatherings that are very explainable at times, field mechanical, and even obligatory. Paul wanted believers to show up with the confidence that God wanted to move through them to build up those who were gathered. You see, the gospel message was not predominantly with the early church. It was not predominantly only spread and taught by the apostles and by the other big-name leaders that we see, the Pauls, the Barnabases, the Apollos, Timothys, the Tituses. That is what I want to show us this morning. The, the gospel message went forth not primarily through or initially through the church now gathering in one specific space, in a building, and, and through that being their evangelistic endeavor. But we get a different picture if we really look at the book of Acts. And so I want to take us to Acts chapter 15. And I'm just going to put up there, um, I'm doing it a little bit different here. Jonathan can put up the, the first slide there. Uh, these are some of the main texts that we're going to look at. So I'm, I'm just showing you beforehand where we're going to go to that you have a better idea. But we're going to first start off with Acts 15. But before we dive in there, and before I just give a little bit of context, let's just pray. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for this new day that we can gather. Yes, Lord, we are able to gather. Families are able to gather. Um, households are able to gather to listen to your word being preached. We are able to gather here as a small number. And Lord, there are some that are not able to gather. They are by themselves and alone. But Lord, they are not alone because you are with them. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that we can ask for you to now speak, for your presence to, to manifest by your Spirit in us and through us. Father, come and give me wisdom. Lord, may... The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before we jump into Acts 15 verses 30 to 35, I quickly wanted to just give you an overview of what had happened um, right before Acts 15. After Acts 2, after the church was together and had this utopian life and, and gathering and, and they were filled with all and God was, was doing amazing wonders. And the, the church had been gathering day after day after day and, and communion and fellowship. It was beautiful, sharing everything. We, of course, see that there is persecution that breaks out against the church. Initially, when the Sanhedrin and the leaders wanted to stop the disciples preaching in the name of Jesus, there was a leader, a Pharisee whose uh, name was Gamaliel. And he said, listen, if, if, if this is not of God, nothing will happen. But if this is of God, you won't stop it. So leave it. Okay. He said, leave it. They left it. The church exploded. And then they were like, okay, we need to stop this. Okay. We need to stop this. So they were working against God. Then we see persecution break out after one of the disciples, Stephen, he is one of the seven deacons that are chosen by the church to serve the, the poor and the widows, but to preach the gospel. He was very bold. He gets murdered. He gets stoned. And persecution breaks out. The church is scattered. And so we see someone else come to the forefront, a Pharisee, Saul. And he goes around, and with permission, he goes persecutes the church. He drags people out of their houses, puts them in jail. People are murdered in his name. And then he has a meeting with Jesus. Jesus knocks him off of his horse when he was on his way to Damascus. He has this encounter with Jesus. He is blind for three days. He is in Damascus. And there is another man, Ananias, who has a vision from God to go to Paul or to Saul 
and tell him, listen, you are healed now in Jesus' name. You will see, but God is going to show you how you are going to suffer for his name. And so we see this journey of Paul. He was Saul, he becomes Paul. New identity, a new calling. And he becomes, after Jesus Christ, most probably the most prominent figure in the history of Christianity. And then we see that Paul spends three years in Arabia, around that area of Damascus, and then he travels back to Jerusalem, and he meets with the disciples, and they freak out. Because listen up, this is the equivalent. It is like an ISIS leader who was responsible for beheading many Christians, coming to faith in Jesus, and then he returns to the Christians, and he says, listen, God changed my life. I wanna, I'm, I, I've, been, I've been changed. <laughs> How would we react if we had an, an ISIS leader here in Squamish persecuting the church, chopping off heads here at Nixon Beach, putting it on YouTube, saying Christianity must die, Islam reigns. But that person comes to faith and after three years comes back. How would we react? It's that equivalent because Paul comes back and the disciples react the same way. They're like, hold on, this is the guy that persecuted us. But Barnabas is there. He's one of the disciples. His name means sons of encouragement. And he listens to Paul, and he listens to Paul's doctrine, and he's like, listen, brothers, this guy, this is legit. This guy's life has changed. <laughs> and Paul proves it because he goes and he debates with the Jewish leaders in the temple. And he points them to Jesus. They don't like it. So persecution breaks out again. And what do they do? They say, listen, Paul, you got to leave, man. They're going to kill you. So they ship him to Tarsus, back to where he come, comes from and where he's, uh, he's born. And so Paul remains in Tarsus for a number of years. But then we see after that, that the Bible gives us a picture of a specific group of people that gathered in Antioch, Syria. Now, I'm going to put on screen there the map. I won't be able to point with uh, the pointer and with that little red laser beam, but you will see there, you can see at the bottom right corner, you've got Palestine and Jerusalem there, and on top of Israel and, and Palestine, you've got Syria. So, you see there Antioch. That's what we're looking at. On top of Antioch, you've got Cappadocia, Galatia, Bithynia, Asia, that's, that's modern-day Turkey, okay? But we're going to now zoom in to the church in Antioch and, and what was happening at that specific point in time there. Because on many occasions, we read the book of Acts and we glance over things and we just assume that many of these churches that we read about in Antioch, Ephesus, and Rome that, of course, they were planted by Paul or by Barnabas or, you know, the disciples. And that is not the case. That is not the case. Because what had happened there in Antioch is the following. People started gathering together because they believed in Jesus. They had heard the gospel preached to them. First to Jews and then to Gentiles. And then the people were gathering, and, and now they were from different cultures. It, it was the Jewish culture, Greek culture, Roman, multicultural. But there was an issue that arose, because some teachers from Judea, some teachers were traveling from Judea, and they came to Antioch, and they said, okay, listen, this is all great. This is all very well. You're now a beautiful church. But listen, all you Gentiles, got news for you. You have to be circumcised. And all the men went, yay! Right? They went like, yes. I was hoping they would say that. I want to be like Abraham. 100 years and man, now I have to do this. No. Okay? They would, I would not be happy. I would not be happy. I'm just putting it there. But we see what happens in that church. They, they have these people that come in and say, you have to be circumcised. You have to adhere to the law of Moses. Man, you, 613 
laws that the Pharisees were preaching and, and teaching and following. And so Paul and Barnabas is there, and they're like, hold on. This, this is not the message that we have received from Christ. But what do they do? There is confrontation, but then the church says, hold on. We've got headquarters. Jerusalem, we have our leaders there. We have the apostles there. We have the disciples there. Let us send Paul and Barnabas to go and find out what to do in this situation. And that is something for us to think about as a church, because in the church even, we have so many of us that grumble against the institution of church, against authority and leadership, denominational leadership and national leadership. And we're like, listen, man, what are these people doing? And here we see that even Paul and Barnabas submitted themselves to this leadership because they have to go somewhere else. They have to go find out, listen, what are we to do? Because we experience it in the church. We've got people that come in, and they come in with different doctrines, different ideas. Some guys like me that are maybe a little bit more extreme from the Pentecostal side, and they are very emphatic about the manifestation of the Spirit and what it needs to look like, and you need to be speaking in this type of language, and then that's the only sign that you are saved. And then we as the church need to say, hold on, buddy. Let's go find out what the Bible says and the doctrine says. And if we can't figure it out, let's go find out what our leaders say. What do our denominal leaders say? What is, what is the doctrine of our church and our movement? But most importantly, that they are there to point us back to the truth of Scripture and the Bible. Now, to make a long story short here, I know I'm carrying on with a lot of context here, but what happens is Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. They explain this to the leaders. The leaders listen, and they come to the conclusion that, no, this is not the gospel message. This is not what Jesus preached, and it was not a burden. It wasn't something that the Jewish people could even carry. They realized that the gospel was not about what you did and if you had been circumcised, because you cannot keep the law. It's, it's not about that. It is about putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to be cleansed by His final sacrifice on the cross and His blood that bought their freedom. And so the context of Acts 15 is that. And so we see Paul and Barnabas then travel back to this church, and they travel with two other guys. The church goes and says, listen, we're not just going to send Paul and Barnabas back. We're going to send two prophets back. <laughs> we're going to send the guys that are able to speak the, God's truth and speak into the situation and encourage and build up the church. Hence why Paul said, if you aspire to a gift in the church, you know, love overrides everything, but if there is a one gift, Prophecy is it, man. It's going to build up the whole church. And so here we see now in Acts 15, verse 30 to 35, what happens. And, and Jonathan, if you can throw that on there. It says there, so when they, this is now Paul and Barnabas, were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, this is now the letter in which the leadership says, Listen, don't listen to these teachers. You're not supposed to become Jews. You stay as you are, faith in Jesus. And they gave them other recommendations to, to follow. But that's the letter that they read. And having gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Now, think about that. They did not have the New Testament. They did not have the Gospels written at that stage. What are the many words that they encouraged them with? Predominantly, Old Testament Scripture proving and showing how Jesus was the Messiah. But I want to also submit to you that the job of the prophets, their job description is to encourage the church by making predictions, and prophecies about what is lying ahead for the church. And that encouraged the church. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word 
with many others also. With many others also, church. I'm emphasizing that this morning because that is the picture of the church. It wasn't just Paul, Barnabas, and Silas and Judas. Many others. Who were these many others? Who were they? Now, this is where we jump back. We have to go to Acts 11, because this will give us a better idea. I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture here today, and let the Scripture speak into our hearts. There it says in Acts 11, verses 19 to 25, the church in Antioch. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So what happened? The persecution broke out. People were scattered. They had to flee. But as they are fleeing, as they are moving to different areas, they preach the gospel first to the Jews. But there were some of them, listen up, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, those were the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So that is way before Acts 15, they first sent Barnabas. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people who were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Acts 15, we saw at the end, the end result, the fruit was many others were teaching and preaching. Not necessarily in this capacity or in front of crowds, but they were preaching and teaching. Most probably in homes. Because that was the fruit of Paul and Barnabas' Barnabas's, um, labor. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I'm going to point us towards our next scripture out of Acts 13 to zone in now on specific names of these many others. It says in Acts 13, verse 1 to 3, Now, they were in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers. We know Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, a black man, part of that congregation, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And then it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands and sent them off. And that gives us a picture of what it looked like in that church, in the church in Antioch, where for the first time, people are called Christians. They're little Christs. Little Christs. And we see a picture of how they were devoted to what? Prayer and fasting. And how that had led to them hearing God speak through His Spirit and say specifically, set apart Paul, Barnabas for me. Would it have been easy for them to do that? No. But they were devoted to the mission of God because they knew many others still had to be reached. Now, I know many of you might be thinking, And you're listening to this and you're saying, okay, but Rudy, listen, come on. You know, we're not living in those times. We've got so many resources. You know, we've got right now media. 
We have these sermons online. You know, we can get all of these teachings from the best preachers and the, the teachers in the world. You know, why is it necessary for us to see many others then also preach and teach? And I would submit to us as the church that that is, in, in, in fact, our biggest problem. We have created a culture of consumerism. We have created it within our own church where we are too easily satisfied with running to the latest and greatest preachers and teachers who are great. I'm not saying that they're not. Instead of running to the Word of God and hearing through His Word and through His Spirit and through the local body what He is saying. You know, I was speaking to a guy this week uh, here at the ledge. There were two men and they were sitting here and the one was an old retired uh, priest and there was another guy with him and, and, you know, I was telling them about the rock church and the, the one guy said, you know, yeah, I, I tuned in the one time and pastor was preaching, but you know what? I heard something that was said that I didn't agree with and I shut it off. <laughs> and you know what? That is exactly our attitude in the church. We are very quick to speak our minds, but slow to listen and to listen together with others what the Holy Spirit is actually saying. We are quick to jump on our social media platforms and vent our frustrations with the COVID situation and the restrictions. But we are slow to ask God, Lord, what are you trying to teach us through this time? What are you trying to teach us? And I know many of you are thinking, hold on, Rudy. Like, I, like are, you, are, you, are you saying that I need to teach and preach the gospel message? Isn't that what you, aren't you associate pastor? Aren't you paid to do that? <laughs> no, I'm not paid to do that. I'm paid to fulfill Ephesians 4.12 that says, we need to equip the saints for ministry. That is what the church's mission is. We need to build the body up, preach the word, but raise people up to participate as that picture that we see in the book of Acts. And you might rebuttal and say, hold on, Rudy. James 3 verse 1 says this. And James was Jesus' brother. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. He was the leader, man. He said, not many should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I would say that's correct. You've got to be careful. Hence why we're encouraged by the Bible, and specifically in the book of James, to control your tongue. But the purpose of what he is saying there, the main point, if you go read the whole book of James, is, first of all, that faith without works is dead. Real religion and, and worship that is satisfying to God is to look after the orphans and the widows and control your tongue. So be careful to be speaking. And when you're speaking, make sure that it matches up with your lifestyle. That's the point. He's not trying to discourage people to, to spread the gospel. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if we look at the next verse, Hebrews 5, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews actually talks to the church and says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So the understanding in the Bible and the picture of the church has always been that the focus should not be to create a culture of where we just sit back and not participate. And so that is the main point that I want to drive away here this morning of looking and, and the purpose of looking at those scriptures. And Glenn had emphasized that in that series. We on this time are called to be the church. But the question is, how? How can we be the church in this time? You see, many of us, many of us have neglected this period of time, this COVID time. From the beginning of COVID, 
it was my sense and feeling that if we as Christians, and, and if you as an individual Christian, if your life in following Jesus was mainly about the one day in the week that you gather, you're going to be in trouble. Because, yes, gathering is a very important aspect of being the church. But the church and being a Christian is not about one day in the week, but it is your whole life. It is what are you doing for seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And so that, that brings me now to answer that question of how. How can we now, since we are not gathering here on Sundays in the masses that we used to, how can we be the church, Rudy? And I got to tell you, I want to encourage the Rock Church. We have been the church in this time. Have we been perfect? No. Have we done everything right? No. That's not what I'm saying as a leader. But I'm telling you, we have tried our utmost best to submit ourselves to the authorities, to adhere to the recommendations, but to build up our people and to say, people, come and join in with what God is doing. Join our community groups. Tune in Sunday mornings. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship in that way, online, but also through the means that are provided by government. There are ways in which you can. You can gather with someone. There are ways. There are ways that you can have communion. There are opportunities to pray. And you might say, hold on, Rudy. I've heard this all before, man. You guys always preach this. I'm tired of hearing this. Many of you are thinking that. And you're saying it's COVID. We're not even meeting in person, as I've said. We're streaming services. This is not church. I ran into two guys this week. <laughs> they were walking up and down Cleveland, preaching. And they said, hey, you're not a real Christian. You're wearing a mask. And I'm like, man, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, what church do you go to? I go to the Rock Church. And they're like, well, are your doors open? Are you meeting? I'm like, no, we're meeting in small amounts uh, of people, and we're broadcasting live. Oh, you're not the real church. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going on, okay? Here in Squamish, people are going around preaching that. And that does tremendous damage to the witness of the church. And I need to admit that, you know, afterwards, Nick and I were talking about it. I should have been bolder in rebuking those guys. I think I was more in, in shock. <laughs> but man, we, we are being the church. The Rock Church is being uh, the uh, witness in this community. But first of all, to the community of believers, to our own. We are doing our utmost best to look after the orphans and the widows that are in our church. We are trying to support those who are needy. But Rock Church, hear me out. We definitely need to hear more from you in this regard. We, I don't have my ears on the ground. I'm not always on Facebook. I'm not always aware of what's going on. But we need to be vulnerable and be sharing with one another so that we can care for one another, first of all, because we're able to do that. We're able to minister to one another. You know, what's the last time that we saw people actually phone the elders and say, listen, I'm feeling sick. Let's practice, James, that says, call on the elders, bring the anointing oil, oil me, and pray for me. Hey, what would it look like if we actually put our faith in what the Word of God says? I'm now going on a rant here, but listen, hear my heart. My heart is for our people, and, and our heart at the Rock Church, and Glenn's heart, and the elders' hearts are for our people, but also to be prepared for what God is doing and planning. Because listen up, this is my main conclusion here at the end. It's going to be a very, uh, I'm taking a risk with this example. It's an obscure illustration, but I believe that God wants us to learn from this situation. In the beginning, I shared with you how in the last month, there's been this situation in the New York Stock Exchange or uh, Wall Street, otherwise known as Wall Street, where companies, public companies, 
offer their stocks, and in other words, ownership in their company in the form of shares for sale. Okay, that's kind of like the platform. That's the, the, the marketplace where they are sold. And what had happened in the last month is that there was a situation created which is called a short squeeze. Those of you that are listening and you're familiar with this, great. Some of you might be like, really, what on earth are you talking about? Why are you using this example? Okay. And that's why I'm going to give you an example of what a short is. Okay. A short is when a company, if you have, for example, I've put on there on screen for you, company A, their share price is $100. And now Rudy wants to short it. And what it means is I go and I borrow the stock from a broker. I don't buy it. I, it's like going to the bank. I borrow $100. But I go and borrow the stock for $100. And then I sell it to someone at that price at $100. But I do that in a gambling fashion. I'm gambling. I'm betting that this value of the stock is going to fall within the next month or two months. Depends. And then I hope and I pray that the, fall, the price falls. Now, when it does fall, if it does happen after two months, in my example, the stock, stock price falls to $10. So the short has taken place. I buy the stock back at that stage at $10. I give the borrowed stock back to the broker. And what did I make? $90 profit. Just a disclaimer. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just, this is an example. Don't listen to this and say, this is what I'm going to do. Disclaimer, not giving you financial advice. Now, what does this have to do with the gospel and what's currently happening? I'm sharing with you here a graph of what happened with a specific company now in the last month on the stock exchange. It was a company that was shorted by many rich investment companies. They had betted that this company was going down. Their stock price was going to be down in the gutters. Okay? But little did they know that there were millions and millions and millions of everyday investors, everyday traders, people like you and me, who have access to information, who have access to trading platforms, and who banded together because they realized that, hey, this company that you know some of us like, it's not the greatest company, they don't sell the greatest products, but we don't like what these large, rich, billionaire companies and these professionals are doing. And so what did they do? They banded together. They said they were going to invest in this company, buy the stock, invest in it. And what it created was, if you know anything about economics and the free market system, supply and demand. If all of a sudden there is a huge demand for a product or a service, and the supply is little, or they want to try and keep up with the supply, the price increase. And so all of a sudden, if you look at that graph, what was created is a short squeeze. Because what all of a sudden happens is if you have millions and millions and millions of people who say buy, 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 and they buy it at a lower price, lower price, the price increases. And then even the companies that were shorting that company, who were trying to buy the stock back, even if they do buy, it pushes the price even more up. I hope that's a simplified explanation that makes sense now that... The, the question is, what does that have to do, Rudy, with this message of the church and the gospel? That is the big question. <laughs> Got some people saying here, amen. <laughs> and everyone online is like, <laughs> I wonder what Glenn is doing. <laughs> okay, Glenn, here we go. <laughs> Listen up, church. The church is that company. The church has been shorted by Satan. Satan bet, he made a bet that when Jesus was hung on that cross, that this is the end. He was that billionaire who was smiling and saying, man, I bet there's no way, no way God is going to fulfill his promises. But Jesus rose from the dead. 
He rose from the grave after three days. He poured out his spirit, as we see in the book of Acts. And the short squeeze became a long squeeze where we have had almost two millennia of the church enduring, of people buying into the kingdom of God. And how have they done that? Through everyday, ordinary people like you and me, not professionals, not those with all the MDivs and, and qualifications. Those are good. I'm not, I'm not putting those things down. But everyday people who are in the workplace, in their homes, to spread the good news of the gospel, that listen, buy into the kingdom of God. The church is about the kingdom of God. It's about being in, having that stock, having your, your share, but realizing that, listen, it's not going to fall. We know the end result. We know the church is going to endure. We know Jesus is coming back. So don't sell out, church. Those of us that are discouraged, those of us that have been part of the Rock Church and have been maybe for various reasons, and you have to say, oh, man, I'm not even going to tune in Sunday mornings. Man, I've got I to challenge you. Just humble yourself. You see, we live in such a time where all of us have become experts lately because of information technology. All of us think we know what it takes to be the church and what it takes to be a public health officer. But if we were really the church, we would humble ourselves and we would pray as we sing. We are your people called by a name. Humble ourselves. We humble ourselves and we pray. But I will be the first one to say that, man, I don't pray for Dr. Bonnie Henry. I don't pray for my premier. I don't pray for Justin Trudeau. I don't pray for the president of the United States. But I'm quickly to share what I don't like about that. If you think this guy's angry, yes, I am angry. Okay? I think sometimes we have to get a little bit of righteous anger. But we need to be just honest about this. Because the short squeeze is coming. I, God is doing something. He's doing something in Squamish. He's doing it in our country. I know people are frustrated. But there is a squeeze coming. And I believe it is gonna, it's that harvest God has promised. The harvest is ripe and ready. Guys, the stats of people who are depressed, committing suicide, drug overdoses, domestic violence is up. The people are desperate. There aren't any answers. Atheism can't answer it. Secularism can't answer it. Hinduism doesn't answer it. Buddhism doesn't answer it. Who's got the answers? Guess who? The church. But we're going to have to stick it out. Hold on to the stock. Because the squeeze is coming where I promise you there's going to be a demand for what the church has to offer. The love of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is coming. People are hungry for it. We just need to open our eyes and look for it. I'm going to end with this. Matthew 13, verse 44 to 45. The parable of the hidden treasure. And it says the the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. I want to encourage us to really consider here at the end, as a church, what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. When he had gone through three various pestilences or plagues during the 15th and 16th century, he wrote this. 
He said, very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate. I shall help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed. Listen to that. I will avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of someone else or others. But listen to this. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. The main idea is, The many others, all of us, God calls us to seek first the kingdom of God, to love God first, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And loving our neighbors looks like serving them, but the greatest gift is to share that treasure, to share the good news of Christ. My prayer for us as a church this morning is that in the next two months, while our lead pastor is away, will we pray? Will we pray as a church like the church in Antioch did? Will we set ourselves new discipline goals, maybe fasting and praying for what God wants to do? Will we not just sit back and let us use this time as well where Glenn is on sabbatical, but let us as well as the church be those ordinary folk that go out and be the hope of the world. 